This week on Just Another Fanboy, we're going from green to blue here with episode number 204 because we're talking about Nightwing this week. And I have to be honest with you, Nightwing is a character that for the longest time, I really didn't give that much of a crap about. Join me, won't you? Welcome to another episode of Just Another Fanboy. I'm your host. My name is Steven, and I'm the guy talking to you, and you're the person listening to me. That's really the relationship. That's what it comes down to. I'm talking. You're listening. You know, you can provide feedback. I do offer that option. Feedback at justanotherfanboy.com. Tell me what you think about the show. But otherwise, I'm the one that talks. You're the one that listens. Unless you don't want to listen, and in that case... You're not listening, so I I don't know what to say about you because you're not listening. So what's the point? What's the point of me even addressing you because you're not listening? So, hey, we're talking about Nightwing this week. If you looked at the title at all, you'll notice that it says Tom Taylor's Nightwing, but that's only because I didn't want to create an epically long title for this episode. Really, the, the proper title for this episode should be Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo, Adriano Lucas, and Wes Abbott's Nightwing. Because that's your creative team. But it doesn't all fit in the space provided for the title. We're going to be talking about the first arc on this run from this creative team that's just blowing my mind. It started with issue number 78 of Nightwing, and it ended just recently with issue number 83 of Nightwing. I don't know what's coming next. I'm looking forward to it. I know that Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo, at the least, are staying on board. I'm assuming Adriano Lucas and Wes Abbott are staying on board as well. I think the thing I saw from Tom Taylor was that they are going to stay on for as long as DC lets them. He has many stories to tell, apparently. And I did want to draw attention to the fact that I don't want to just call this Tom Taylor's Nightwing. Now, Tom Taylor was 50% of the draw that brought me into this book. The other half of that was Bruno Redondo. The two of them worked on a book a while back called Suicide Squad for DC. And that's another book, just like Nightwing, I never really gave much of a crap about. But I saw some previews and some character artwork and whatnot online before Suicide Squad came out. So it looked really nice. And I had been enjoying most anything from DC by Tom Taylor that I had been reading up to that point. I had not read Deceased by that point, I don't believe. I think the only thing I had read were his Injustice books, which were quite amazing, to be honest with you. And so when this whole Suicide Squad came about and I saw the artwork and I saw that it was Tom Taylor, I thought I'd give it a chance and I was blown away. So then when it was announced that they were both going to be doing a Nightwing series, I was really upset because I don't like Nightwing. There's just nothing about that character that appeals to me in any way. As soon as I saw the announcement, I was like, well, crap, now I got to buy a Nightwing book. And that makes me kind of angry because I really don't care about Nightwing. I don't like Nightwing. I'm not a Nightwing guy. There are people who are hardcore Nightwing fans, and I just could not wrap my mind around who these people were and what was it about this character that they enjoyed so much. I was curious enough over the years 
to give the character a try every now and again. I dip my toes in the Nightwing series and it just never, ever, ever did anything for me. But then I got to thinking after I read the announcement, once I got done fuming and being really angry at the fact that I felt like Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo were being wasted on this nothing of a character, I got to thinking back on some of the DC books I had read by Tom Taylor, the Injustice books, the Deceased series. And I think by that point, by the time issue 78 of Nightwing came out, his first issue, there were at least three different Deceased series. Anyway, I realized that whenever I encountered Nightwing, Dick Grayson, in any of these books that Tom Taylor wrote, and you know what, for these alternate universe DC titles that he may have written featuring that had Nightwing in him. Nightwing didn't always survive. But I recalled actually enjoying the character of Nightwing in those stories, in the Injustice stories, in the deceased stories. And and I thought, well, Tom Taylor, in my eyes, can do no wrong. Bruno Redondo is now one of my top 10, maybe even top five favorite artists. I love the style that this guy brings to a book. And so I thought I would give it a try. Now, again, the creative team, the main creative team for these six issues are Tom Taylor writing, Bruno Redondo on art, Adriano Lucas on colors, and Wes Abbott on letters. Now, for issue 82, there's a big bulk of issue 82 that tells a story about a character's past. And so they get a little help on that book with uh, pencils by Rick Leonardi and Neil Edwards and inks by Andy Lanning and Scott Hanna. So Bruno Redondo, Adriano Lucas, they're on that book. They have pages in that book. But a bulk of that issue is a flashback backstory type of tale. And it's it's done by these other artists. Um, and honestly, it didn't take anything away from the book. I'm always one who gets very nervous when, even with the flashback sequence, when they bring in another artist to handle that, or they just change artists in the middle of a run. Because we've kind of gotten to a point here in comics where it's it, it's not like it was in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, where there was kind of a house style. DC, Marvel, it didn't matter. There were a few standouts, guys like George Perez or John Byrne. But while their artist, well, <laughs> Bill Sienkiewicz, good Lord. Um, in, the, in, in most cases, even... A bit with John Romita Jr., they still kind of stuck to that house style. Now, eventually, as we got further into the 80s, uh, Bill Sienkiewicz really kind of hit his own style. And John Romita Jr., you know, they they really kind of stood out. But for a while there, it was like, okay, so if if you change up an artist during a run, it's not that big of a deal. You're going to be able to tell but the but stylistically it's still pretty much the same. And I know I'm just I'm speaking in broad generalizations here because I know that's not always the case. The one thing that always leaps to mind is Al Milgram jumping in not Al Milgram, why did I say Al, Al Milgram? I think it was Bob Layton jumping in and doing a couple of issues in Secret Wars uh while Mike Zek took a little rest. That was for me a very jarring change. There's nothing wrong with Bob Layton, but he's no Mike Zek. Well, this bit of story that was done by these other artists in issue 82, amazingly enough, while you could tell 
that it was a different art team, it still really quite fit and it did not take me out of the story at all. So let me try to summarize what this first story arc is about. And then I'm going to give, try to give you my thoughts on it because I have a lot of thoughts about this book. Because again, this is a character I've never liked. And I can tell you that by the end of the very first issue of this run, issue 78, I was in love with the character. Now, I don't know much about Nightwing. I don't know much about Dick Grayson other than the fact that he was the original Robin. That at one point, um, Batman, for his own protection, fired him. And Robin struck out on his own. He, uh, While he was Robin, he led the Teen Titans. But then he, he became Nightwing which was a name that Superman gave him. It was a, uh, a hero, I think, from, from Krypton, Nightwing and Flamebird or something like that. I, I don't quite remember. And they make reference to that little fact that Superman gave him his name. They make reference during this run. But about the only thing, you really don't need to know much going into this, but it's helpful to know. And yes, there are going to be plenty of spoilers here. So if you don't want to be spoiled, walk away now. But you do kind of need to know that at one point in the past, uh, here within the last year or so, uh, Alfred Pennyworth, Bruce Wayne's loyal butler, who has been a mainstay in the Batman comics since the beginning. Well, actually, I, I can't say that for certain. I don't know if Alfred was right there from the get-go, but he's been there for decades. Well, he recently passed away. You kind of need to know that. Uh, apparently at some point in the Nightwing run, Nightwing was shot in the head. He survived and he had amnesia and he called himself Rick and he drove a cab. Apparently, I don't know much about it. All this happened before Tom Taylor got on the book, but I feel like there was a rumor going around that somebody, uh, maybe Dan Didio didn't like Nightwing, didn't like the fact that his name was Dick. And wanted to do something to change his name. And the only way that they could think of to do it was to shoot him in the head. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's after all that happens that this we, we take up with this book. Dick is returning back to Bloodhaven, where he had originally made his home. He was a cop there for a while. He lives in an apartment, and he owns the entire apartment building. And um, he has secret rooms within the apartment building, the, the entire, you know, apartment block, the entire building. Secret rooms, it's kind of like his bat cave within this, you know, behind the walls of these apartments. And actually, the way that this issue, the first issue in this run, the way it opens up is we're introduced to Dick as a boy. He has he has already, if you're unaware of... of uh, the original Robin's backstory, he was a, a member. He, he was, oh, good Lord. I don't know why I can't just come out and say this. I'm having such problems. He was a member of a circus. He was a circus performer. His parents were trapeze artists and he was a trapeze artist right along with them as a young boy. They, they were called the flying Graysons. Um, his parents were murdered during a performance. Uh, Bruce Wayne happened to be there. He felt, uh, uh, of course, sorrow for the boy, and he, but he also felt a bit of kinship. You know, it's like what happened to Dick was the same thing that happened to Bruce when Bruce was around his age. And we find out that, of course, his parents were murdered. By, obviously, they were shot in the middle of the freaking big tent center ring uh, by a crime boss uh, by the name of Tony Zuko. So Bruce Wayne, Batman, 
takes Dick in as his ward is what they called it. Um, I don't know if he ever officially adopted him, but they've gotten to the point now where they, they refer to every one of the Robins. Dick Grayson was the first. Jason Todd was the second. Um, Tim Drake was the third. And now the, the most current Robin is, is Damien. Uh, they refer to each other, those four Robins as brothers. Um, and Dick does refer to Bruce as his father. But he also refers to Alfred at one point in this issue as his father. So as the issue opens up, it's it's Dick Grayson. He's a boy. He's already uh, lived through his tragedy. His parents have already been murdered. He is he is Robin at this point. He's he's living with Bruce Wayne. But when we meet him, he is encountering uh, some bullies. These three bullies who are a little bit older than him, picking on some kid after school. Uh, young Barbara Gordon rushes in to confront the bullies first, and then Dick Grayson comes in to confront the bullies. He, uh, of course, the main bully, the ringleader, Dick beats up because he can do that. He has been trained by Batman. And this bully, who obviously comes from a, a wealthy family, threatens them both. Once his father finds out, you know, he's very much a... a Malfoy, a Draco Malfoy type of uh, King Joffrey type of character, right? Once my father finds out, you'll both be in trouble. My father owns the police. And this police car comes roaring up. Ah, the police are here. You're in trouble now. My father owns the police. And out steps Detective Jim Gordon, who is, of course, the father of Barbara Gordon, who is there uh, helping Dick confront these bullies. This is the first time Barbara and Dick Meet So not only are, are we being introduced to young Dick Grayson as this book starts, we're also seeing how Barbara and Dick meet. There may or may not be a uh, forthcoming romantic um, relationship between the two of them. They, they seem to be hinting at that a bit. But Jim Gordon drives Dick home to the Wayne Manor, and uh, he's met at the front door, not by Bruce, who is off doing Batman stuff, but he's met by Alfred. Dick goes into the mansion. Alfred stays outside to, to talk to, to Detective Gordon. And when Alfred comes inside, Dick is washing the dishes. And Alfred is telling tells him, you know, you don't have to do that. That's my job. And Dick says, I, I want to do it. I want to help. Then they have this quick conversation where Dick assumes that Alfred is going to give him the business for, you know, having a fight after school or is going to come down on him or is going to be disappointed. And Alfred tells him, no, he's actually very proud of him because it's one thing to go out there and help people and fight the bad guy and help the good guy and help the innocent and help people who need help. It's one thing to do it when you have a mask on, when you're hiding behind a mask, but to stand up as who you are and still jump in there and defend the weak. That's what makes Dick special, basically. And it's it makes him who he is. And it's a really great scene that just, it kind of tells you all you need to know about the person. And that's the one thing I love about Tom Taylor's writing. It's, it's more about the character. It's more about the people. It's more about the relationships. It's more about the, you know, who these people are, not this is a guy who can shoot lasers out of his eyes and he beats up bad guys. You know, it's it's very much the antithesis of the old 90s image days where it was more about 
how cool was the costume and what kind of cool superpowers could they invent and you know what kind of poses could they strike while they are fighting bad guys and was less about the story whereas now it's it's very much about this is you know let's get into who this character is let's let's feel something for this character let's uh let's give the reader a reason to root for this character let's give them a motivation you know this is why this character is somebody that you want to um read more about not because of what their powers are not because of how cool their costume is but because they're a good person and they may have flaws and, but this is what they do to overcome those flaws. These are people just like you and me. They just happen to put on tights and go out there and fight crime. So we go from that story straight to the present where Dick as Nightwing in Bloodhaven again is confronting bullies. These seem to be more college frat boy type guys who are torturing a three-legged puppy. They're kicking it. And uh, Dick jumps in there and he's about to put a stop to it. And one of these fellas pulls out a gun thinking that it would be fun to shoot this puppy. And of course, Nightwing stops them. And then he takes the puppy home and the puppy becomes his. And it's it's a it's again, right away. First issue, you get these two quick little stories that tell you exactly who Dick Grayson is uh, as a person and as a crime fighter, and gives you a reason why you should give a crap about what he's doing and why he's doing it. So we also learn in this issue that Alfred, because Barbara Gordon comes to visit him, and we find out she was the executor of Alfred's will. Dick was not there for the reading of the will because he was uh, he had been shot in the head and he thought he was somebody else named Rick. But as her duties... Or per her duties as the executor of Alfred's will, she has come to deliver a letter to Dick and he goes and sits out on the fire escape and reads it. And it's a really touching letter. You find out that Alfred was a freaking billionaire. He inherited a large sum of money when the Waynes died. He invested it well. He had been given other money for some reason. I, I, I feel the particulars aren't leaping to me right now. But he basically invested it very well, and he, when he died, he was a billionaire, and he's leaving it all to Dick. He considers Dick one of his sons. He considers Bruce his son. He considers Dick his son, and he knows that Dick will do something good with this money, that he will, unlike Bruce, Bruce does all kinds of good stuff with his money. He's a, he's a philanthropist. He gives to charity. He does all that, but he also uses his money ultimately to create these great gadgets and whatnot that he uses to, to fund his war against crime. And he knows that Dick isn't necessarily going to do that. He's going to put this money to good use helping people. And so right away here in this first issue, we are given the, the hook, the, the motivation for Dick throughout this, or at least this arc and probably through most of the run. But for this arc, it's kind of all about Suddenly, Dick is a millionaire or a billionaire, and what is he going to do with this money that that can help people? So in the meantime, um, we're introduced to a woman who is the, I, I think they called her the president of the city council, the 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 crime boss of Bloodhaven, the, the main crime boss, the kingpin, basically, is this guy they called Blockbuster. And he he is a, he's an enhanced, 
human. He's super strong. And um, we have the Maroney crime family as well. Uh, but ultimately, all these crime families, all the organized crime, it all funnels up to Blockbuster. Again, he's basically, if you want to look at it in the Marvel way, he's the kingpin of Bloodhaven. Well, he kills the mayor. He, he feels the mayor isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing as far as helping Blockbuster in his criminal ways. So he kills him. And we are then introduced to the city commissioner or the, the president of the commissioner, council or whatever. She automatic, She's next in line to be mayor. And her name is Melinda Zuko, daughter of Tony Zuko. Tony Zuko is the guy that killed Nightwing's parents. We also, I'm not going to go through every story beat in this arc because I don't remember most of it. But at one point, uh, Dick and Barbara go out to eat, right? She, she, she comes to visit, finds out he's a billionaire. She asks if he has anything to eat. He doesn't. And he goes, well, I, I'm now rich. We can go get something to eat. And so they go down to this pizza stand and he buys her a couple slices of pizza. And as they're standing there eating this pizza, this guy and his son come up and ask if they have any spare change. It's a homeless man and his son, and neither of them have any spare change because nobody nobody carries money anymore. Nobody has cash on him anymore. And the guy, he's very nice. He he understands. I I get it. You know, nobody nobody carries cash these days anymore. And suddenly it dawns upon Dick that he can do something to help this guy. So he gets him a pizza and he says, matter of fact, why don't you go and invite anybody, anybody who you know that's in a situation like yours, just invite him on down and it's pizza for everybody. So before we know it, we have this large collection of the homeless population of Bloodhaven, and Dick is is buying them all pizza. He tells this guy and his son that he has made a reservation for them at this uh, the Bloodhaven Four Seasons, and it's good till the end of the month. And then at the end of the month, they'll figure something else out. His the 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 man is very grateful. He and his son leave, I guess, to go to the hotel in uh, and. On their way through the city, they encounter this guy who, with some kind of weird ray gun, removes this homeless man's heart. The little boy runs. The, the father tells him, run run away, run, Oliver, or whatever the kid's name is. Well, <laughs> in the meantime, Dick is back still at, at, the, at the pizza stand. He's buying pizza for everybody. And these three kids come up and they say, they say uh, hey, do you care if we take our pizza to go? And he's like, no, that's fine. And hands them their like three boxes of pizza and the kids, the kids leave. And then Dick gets into his wallet for something and then realizes that those kids just stole his wallet, which Barbara immediately texts to the rest of the Bat family. We learn in this arc that there is a it's I think it's even literally called the Bat family group text where, you know, Jason Todd and and Tim Drake and um Cassie, whose last name I can't remember. Basically, anybody who's part of the Bat family. Um, what is what was her name? Spoiler. She was she was Batgirl at one point. I think she's called Spoiler now. There's a couple others. They're all in on this this big group chat, and so of course they start sending stuff to uh, Dick to razz him for being Nightwing and having his wallet stolen, and. Uh, so he goes home and Barbara goes with him, but no, nothing happens. They make a point to talk about that. She He sleeps on the couch because the next morning, uh, and by next morning, it's like five in the afternoon, 
he's woken up by knock at the door and it's the police and they tell him that this man and I don't remember his name, but the the man that he had made reservations for at the Four Seasons was found dead. They can't find he, he, he you know, with his, his heart has been removed. Dick wants to know where the boy is. They don't know anything about the boy. And it, it's a really great scene where Barbara has left, but he calls her real quick and she comes back because she's his alibi. Because because, of course, the police suspect him. You know, why would you? make reservations for a homeless man and his son at a swank hotel. Now that the man is dead, what, what were your intentions? Um, and once the cops are, are gone, he goes in search of the boy, but he need, he makes a call because he needs some help and he calls in Tim Drake. And so when Tim Drake arrives in Bloodhaven, Dick meets him on a rooftop. And the first thing that, that Tim does is he gives him a gift and it's a chain wallet. He explains to him that, you know, here, it's a chain wallet. You can fasten the chain to your belt, and that way nobody can steal it. And Dick's like, I'm never going to hear the end of this, am I? No, you're never going to hear the end of this. Well, he needed Tim because Tim is, uh, he's still he's still young. He's 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 maybe in his late teens. But he goes undercover in this, the, the, they find out, because when Dick tries to get his wallet back, he has a, like a GPS unit in his, in his wallet, and he tracks it to this area of town where he finds basically a tent city that is where all most of the homeless in town live. But it's mostly kids at this point. The parents seem to be gone. And he's learning that there's 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 somebody out there that's that's murdering these parents and taking their hearts. And so he needs Tim to uh, pose as a, a, a homeless boy to go into this tent city, basically, and see if he can learn where this homeless man's son is. And and uh, again, I could go on forever talking about every story point in this book, but uh, let me get to some of the big ones. Um, so Melinda Zuko, we find out that she is not actually Tony Zuko's daughter. She is her, her mother, whose name I can't remember. She is actually Dick Grayson's father's daughter. That's where we get to issue 82 and we get this whole backstory. We get this flashback story of Melinda Zuko and her mother, really her mother, who is, uh, I believe she's Chinese. She was bought by Tony Zuko and brought over to America to be his paid for concubine wife, sexual slave, whatever. And, uh, but he, he basically introduces her to people as his wife and whatnot. And she, at one point they're visiting this circus where the flying Graysons are and she escapes. This is before Dick was even born. She runs from Tony. She's given help by Dick's mother and father who have not gotten together yet. They are, uh, they are a trapeze act, but I think the way she explains it in the book is that he puts her on such a high pedestal. Uh, Dick's father puts Dick's mother on such a high, high pedestal that he feels that he will never, uh, be able to reach that high to, to ever be in any kind of relationship with her. And at the same time, she does the same thing to him. And so they have, they've, they haven't started anything yet. And so Melinda's mother ends up starting something with, with Dick's father and she is born. Um, but then eventually, well, before it's, before it's even found out that she's pregnant, Tony and some goons track her down. They, they find the, 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 the freaking circus and they take her back. And then it's later 
after um, she she discovers she's pregnant, she has Melinda. Melinda's maybe a, a nine or ten year old. They go to the circus. She wants to introduce Melinda to her father, and that's when she learns that Dick's mother and father are now married. Dick is now in the picture, and Melinda doesn't want to upset the balance of that little family, and so she leaves. But in the meantime, Tony Zuko comes back for further revenge and murders Tim or uh, Dick's mother and father. Well, this whole time we think that Melinda Zuko is a bad guy because she's got a file from the FBI. She was she was raised by Tony Zuko. She was um, part of the Maroney crime family, and she's got this very thick FBI file, most of which has been redacted. But she ends up explaining to Dick that if you could read the redacted stuff, it would tell you that she's basically an undercover agent for the FBI, and she's taken down a number of crime families, and the one she's working on right now is the Maroney crime family. So we learn that. That's the big revelation during this whole arc, is that Dick now has a sister. Um, and it was a really, it was a, it was a great moment in the book because, um, he finds out that the new mayor is Tony Zuko's daughter and he breaks into her apartment, uh, only to be knocked unconscious by her bodyguard. And when he comes to, and he's been, he's given the revelation that she is his sister. He quickly realizes, Oh, I've got to, I've got to stop something. And he, he gets on the radio and he, and he tells Barbara, he goes, stand down, I'm okay, call it off. And you find out, like, all of the Teen Titans and Batman have been racing toward this building to save Dick. And I just, I find that, it's just, it's not something they talk about too much, you know, as far as whenever you, you get a, a character that, that gets, you know, in a tight spot like that, you just, I don't know, I just found that there, a lot of the, there's just a lot of layers to these characters and these stories that I, I really quite enjoy. And Tom Taylor does them so well. And uh, I, I also got to kind of wonder what kind of, what were the teen Titans in the middle of? What was Batman in the middle of that? They had to stop to come rescue Dick. And then they find out that it's, it's a false alarm. Were they angry? I don't know. But Dick at one point fights this guy heartless who has been stealing the hearts of homeless people. We discover that he is an enhanced uh, like, you know, a super powered individual, but he, you know, he, he and Dick are fighting and, and Dick's basically saying, well, he's enhanced. He took the shortcut to get super powerful, but he has no training. So, um, even though he's stronger than Dick, Dick kicks his butt basically. But, uh, the guy ends up escaping. Uh, Dick also has to fight. He, he fights blockbuster at one point and, uh, that kind of stuff doesn't get wrapped up in this arc. There's going to be more from Heartless because he's at the very end of the arc. He uh, vows at the end that he's going to go after Dick Grayson because what we get at the very end of this, of the last issue is, is uh, Dick's discovered that he has a sister. He fought with Blockbuster. He survived. And now he's decided what he's going to do with his billions. And he uh, has a press conference called so he can announce what his plans are. But first... He goes around and he gets advice from various people, one of which is Superman. And it's a great moment between uh, Nightwing and Superman that, again, the best part of Tom Taylor's comics are the small uh, character driven moments. There are there's great stuff in the action sequences. He's he's really good about throwing in jokes 
um, and fun stuff like that. But he's also really good about um, giving you something to care about, giving you a reason to continue with the book, giving you something to to sink your teeth into, basically. And and this moment between Superman and Nightwing was was good. It wasn't as good as what we're going to get here at the very end. But so Dick comes out for his press conference and he announces that he is starting this thing called the Alfred Pennyworth Foundation. And it is going to be a, a layered strategic plan to uh, basically eliminate homelessness in Bloodhaven uh, by a certain target date. And he says, the first thing we're going to do is um, we're going to get everybody off the street. We're going to get in, get them into uh, some kind of housing. And somebody asks him, you know, because because some of the points he makes uh, is, you know, there's a lot of money that's thrown at homelessness and whatnot, but a lot of it is about um, punishing uh, lawbreakers. And, you know, and, and this this is more about helping people before they get that desperate, ultimately, right? And one of the reporters asks him, you know, of course, there's more to the homeless situation than just providing them with the place to live. Why is it that you're tackling that first? And he says simply because it's it's going to get cold soon. So let's get him off the streets. He has other plans um, that he's going to put into motion, um, one of which is to increase uh, the minimum wage in Bloodhaven. So regardless of where you work, you will make a living wage. And so his, and I, again, I'm, I'm generalizing, but his plan is basically to get homeless people a place to live and get them a job and, and help anybody who needs help. And the idea there is, is, is to also, um, again, give people a reason not to turn to crime to survive. Basically, if you, if you are able to provide them with the tools that they can use to build the kind of life that will help them provide for themselves and their family, then there's no need for them to turn to stealing or, or whatnot. And when, once the, the press conference is over, his, his phone starts lighting up and it's the, the bat family group text and everybody is congratulating him. And I think Jason Todd says, this is a great idea. Uh, but just remember before you spend all your money, you still owe me 20 bucks. Uh, Damien Wayan, Damien Wayans. Why did I say that? Cause I've been watching my wife and kids. Damien tells him in the text, uh, I know it's not a competition, but you won. And then his phone rings and he answers it and it's Bruce, which they make a comment earlier in the issue about, because Superman wants Nightwing to to call Bruce, and Dick says basically, "Well, can I text him? Because I'm sure he would he would appreciate that more, not having to make any kind of social contact." And Superman laughs, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, it's funny how Batman can face uh, go toe to toe with Darkseid, but will do anything and everything to avoid any kind of social social contact." Uh, but, but Bruce actually calls him calls him on the phone and he tells him that he did a good thing today and he honored Alfred's memory. And as he's telling him that he's looking at a, a, a framed photograph of himself with Alfred. And it was, it was a very touching moment. And it, I mean, I'm, I'm getting a little misty just thinking about it. And that's what I love so much about Tom Taylor. And 
Good Lord, I've been talking so long. I've got to wrap this up pretty quick because I've got to leave. But I don't want to leave without talking about, we've, we've talked a lot about what Tom Taylor does to, to hook me to a story. But Bruno Redondo, his art, he does the pencils and the inks. He has, it's a very classic style, but there's almost like this pop art, postmodern, um, stylized, uh, good Lord. It's like, uh, you know, it's like he's taking a, he, he's taking a little bit from every era of comic books and incorporating it into his style. And then when you mix that with Adriano Lucas's colors, which, you know, I'm not one who normally pays a lot of attention to colorists and letterers. Um, usually if some, one of the two stand out to me, it's because they're doing something that I, I do not enjoy. Uh, the lettering is horrible. They've chosen a really weird font, um, or they're trying, or they've tried to do like a certain color of letters with a different colored balloon and didn't work. But, and it's the same with colorists with some colorists just try way too hard to put as much into a figure as they can to show off all of their digital coloring skills to sh- to give you the contours of their face and all the shadows and the you know it's like well if you look at someone's face it's like 17 different colors so i have to show that in this book and no you don't and on the one hand i love colorists that really keep it simple just nice solid colors with some basic shading and adriano lucas almost takes that to a whole new level. They there's some just like some great bold solid colors there, but there's a little more than just basic shading and the the colors that uh I'm not sure if Adriano is a man or a woman, so I'm not sure what pronoun to use. Uh so I'm just going to say they. Uh but they use the 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 color choice is just these vibrant bold and yet sometimes pastel like colors that um, just really seeing on the page. And again, I'm not one that really typically notices the colors in a book because in my mind, like the letters, if it's done well, it's just part of the art and you enjoy it for what it is. But it's a rare occasion that you can get someone like an Adriano Lucas that takes that colors, you know, the, their, their, their job as a colorist, they take it to a level to, to a level where I start to really notice it as an art form. The only time I typically do that again is when they're doing it wrong. And Adriano does it in such a fashion that it is, it's just, it's gorgeous. And it works just perfectly with Bruno Redondo's art. The, those, those two artistic styles, Bruno's pencils and inks combined with Adriano's colors, they just go hand in hand and they work so well together. I don't know if Adriano was the colorist on Suicide Squad. I hope that um, this is a partnership that continues, that whenever uh, Bruno Redondo is put on a book, one of the first things he says is, okay, but Adriano Lucas has to do the colors because nobody can color me like Adriano Lucas. And they, because they, they do, they just work so well together that they created along with Tom Taylor, a book that, made me care about Nightwing has made me rethink who this character of Nightwing is and has made Nightwing and Dick Grayson so personable to me 
has introduced me to this new person in comics, basically, that has been around for decades that I have been completely ignoring, and now I just can't get enough of. And a lot of it has to do with the writing and the 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 story and the supporting characters and the situations that Tom Taylor is putting this character in. But it's only enhanced by the art style that goes with it. And again, Bruno Redondo, especially when you combine his art with Adriano Lucas, it really, to me, puts them probably up in my top five when it comes to art. Basically, what I'm saying here is, folks, I don't normally like to uh, urge people to pick up books because I'm one who has spent most of my life not having a lot of money. And so I don't like to tell people how to spend their money, which is kind of a stupid thing considering that I do a podcast. That's one of the things we're supposed to do, right? But this is one I would recommend to anyone. Anybody coming up to me right now and saying, I wanted to get, I want to get into superhero books. What do you recommend? My first thing I'm going to tell them is Nightwing. Find Nightwing 78. This trade is going to be out in the next few months. Pick it up. It's going to, it's awesome. It'll, it'll, it'll blow your mind. You'll, you will never look at superheroes the same way again. This is one of these books that if it's your first foray into superheroes, it sets the bar pretty gosh darn high. And you're going to have a lot of trouble enjoying other superhero books because of it. It's five out of five stars for me. Two thumbs up. There's nothing about this book that I just don't like. And uh, I want to keep talking about it because I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff that I haven't said about it that I probably should have, but I just don't have time. I've run out of time and that makes me a little sad. So I'm going to let you go. I'm not going to do any of my normal sign-off stuff. I'm just going to tell you that my name is Steven and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Bye-bye, Daddy. Bye-bye, Daddy. Good job.